Heavenly Father, we thank you for shining upon us the dawn of your grace. Keep us in your light forever. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Rise and shine. Perhaps you've been awakened with those words before. They are words used to call us out of our slumber and into the dawn of a new day. Well, on a theological level, that is also a way of reading the epiphany. The narrative in Matthew and the themes of epiphany, though, are so rich. There are so many directions that a reflection on this feast could go. For this year, I'm going to be taking that first reading from Isaiah to be the foundation for the sermon. But more than considering just those verses that we heard, I want to instead draw our attention to the canticle that we heard sung as well. It's known as the third song of Isaiah, and it includes selection of verses from throughout the chapter. It's a section of Isaiah sometimes called third Isaiah because it is the third movement of the work and describes the events immediately following the end of Israel's captivity in Babylon and the people's return home from exile. And so this part of Isaiah is about hope and God providing for and redeeming the people. Although Isaiah wrote these words some 2,500 years ago, and the events that we are remembering tonight, the Epiphany and the Visitation of the Magi happened 2,000 years ago. Tonight, we are hungry for a word of hope from the Lord. And I pray that the radiance of God's love comes to you this evening, whether it is through these words that the Spirit has given to me, or through the beauty of music, or in the glory of the Eucharist. If there were to be a universally agreed-upon sign for the Epiphany, it would undoubtedly be the star that the Magi saw at its rising. Now, what the star really is doesn't matter so much. Maybe it was a comet, or a planetary conjunction, or a supernova, or maybe it was just something supernatural that God cooked up. But the point is that the star was a sign for the Magi. Without this sign from the heavens, they would not have discerned that God was up to something. Without the star as their guiding light, they would not have known where to go. Without the brightness of that star, they would not have come and seen Christ. Without God, we would be lost. That classic hymn gets it right. O star of wonder, star of night, Star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. In antiquity, it was common for there to be stories about the seemingly miraculous events happening when royalty was born. Perhaps it was a shooting star, or an earthquake, or a rainbow. But those signs were about just making the person seem really impressive. But that's not what this epiphany star is all about. The star is not saying, look at how special Jesus is. Because if that's what God was after, Jesus would not have been laid in a manger. And his family would not have had to flee as refugees to Egypt. 
No, the Epiphany star is not there to shine light on Jesus to show how special he is. Instead, the Epiphany star is there to shine on us, to guide us to God's perfect light. And that's what the third song of Isaiah opens with. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has dawned upon you. God wants to guide us into abundant life. God seeks to bring us into his mercy. God draws us into his love. God beckons us towards his peace. And in order to do this, because God so loved the world, the Son of God came into the world. Or as John puts it at the beginning of the gospel, the true light came into the world to shine on us. John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, prophesied that the Messiah would shine on those who dwell in darkness and in the shadow of death and guide our feet into the way of peace. Isaiah says the same thing differently. For behold, darkness covers the land, deep gloom enshrouds the peoples, but over you the Lord will rise and his glory will appear upon you. However you want to define this gloom, we are enshrouded by it. In theological categories, we are certainly captive to sin and trapped by death. In our society, we are beleaguered by racism, partisan gridlock, the Omicron variant, corporate greed, and climate change. In our personal lives, we struggle with debt, addiction, anxiety, health issues. God knows these struggles, not only knowing about them as the God of all creation, but in Jesus, God has been under this same shroud of doom. And it is into this darkness that the light shines. Jesus is born into our human flesh as the very light of God, bringing not only the hope of the dawning light, but as a guiding light in our lives. When you're sitting in the dark, having the brightness of a candle can be a great comfort. But more than this comfort, the light of Christ guides us out of that gloom and into the perfect light of grace and peace. The star is but the sign that points us to Jesus, and he is the way that we are to follow into abundant life. This light, though, is not just ours to enjoy for ourselves and hide it under a bushel, as it's something like the light that's received by a solar panel. The light sparks energy within us for the good of the world. Isaiah's song says that nations will stream to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawning. In other words, the light that shines on us makes us radiant. It's why people who radiate the light of Christ are so attractive. Just take all of the tributes that have been made to Desmond Tutu as evidence of this. Now, I know that Tutu is a high bar for most of us to live up to, but that is exactly what God is guiding us all towards, a life of joy and trust in God, a life that reflects the difference 
that Christ makes. Isaiah then says that your gates will always be open by day or night. They will never be shut. It's a further way of saying that God seeks to guide us into the blessings of his love. The prophet is speaking about the city of Jerusalem as a way of talking about the people of Israel. And so a city that has open gates is one that's not worried about the enemies coming in. And if the gates are open, that means they're open for business and have a flourishing economic life. Now, this is not to say that with Jesus, we will have health and wealth. Often we will not. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't desire those good things for us. I was talking to a friend recently who told me about a conversation that he was having about the state of the world that we're in right now. And one person remarked, after the flood, God promised to Noah to never again destroy the earth. But the response came, but God never promised that we wouldn't. The shroud that we are under is not from God. It is man-made. It reminds me of a line from the novel, The Poisonwood Bible. God doesn't need to punish us. He just grants us long enough to punish ourselves. God is our guiding light. But like Herod and all of those in Jerusalem who were afraid of the stars appearing, we too can be afraid of the light of Christ because of how pure, how brilliant, how revealing it can be. And so sometimes we do resist the light. We block it out. We close our eyes to it. But the presence of gloom does not indicate God's desire for us. Rather, that gloom is why the star shines in the night sky, to remind us that God is with us and that God is giving us a way to follow. The song of Isaiah concludes with, The sun will no longer be your light by day. By night you will not need the brightness of the moon. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. If God is our light, then it means that we can put away all the flashlights that we carry with us. Our bank account, our resume, our accomplishments, our fitness level, our reputation— None of these things will save us. None of them can stand against the darknesses that we will face in life. None of them can guide us out of the shadow of death. The light of God's love alone can save us. And so instead of wasting so much time and energy on making ourselves appear brighter, we can just enjoy the light that God shines on us and reflect that back to others. The way to do this, to receive the light of Christ most fully, is to spend time in the places where we know that Christ tends to hang out, with the poor, in scripture, in the breaking of bread, in acts of forgiveness, in generosity. It is to those places of humility, of compassion, of love, that the light of Christ guides us because it is in those places where the shroud of gloom had been that we come to see the glory of God's salvation for us. O star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, 
guide us to thy perfect light.